to welcome Mark, Pastor Mark Barrett, uh, to come and uh, just introduce, because this is the first time we've actually heard him preach in person, which is exciting. So, uh, Mark, be welcome. Come and share Thank what you. God has put on your heart. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. That was half-hearted. Good morning. There you go. Good morning. Good to see you. I'm home. We're home. We're so happy to be here with you. Uh, our moving truck showed up on Thursday, and so that was a blessing from the Lord. We thought it was going to show up uh, later than it did, and uh, so God blessed us with that. We've been spending the last couple of days trying to make sense out of the disaster, and uh, we're getting there. Uh, if you ever get confused about uh, which mark you're talking about, uh, I'm the younger one, my past Pastor Mark the Younger, or, or you could say Pastor Mark the Lesser, that would be okay too. <laughs> I want you to, to invite you this morning to turn in your Bibles with me to uh, the Gospel of Luke <clears throat> in chapter 14. How many of you have ever had mistaken identity? Mistaken identity. Maybe somebody has mistaken you for somebody else. Or you've mistaken somebody else for somebody you thought that you knew. Has that happened to you? I see some head shaking. You know, you go, you see somebody across the room and you go, oh, I know them. And you go up and say, hi. Oh, I thought, thought you were somebody else, right? I'm not very good at uh, actors' names or faces, but sometimes when Barbara and I are watching television, I'll say, hey, that's the guy that's on that other show. And Barbara will go, no, it's not. And I'll say, yes, it is. It looks just like him. She'll go, no, it, it sort of looks like him, but that's not him. And so in order to prove that I'm right, you know, I go to Mr. Google, and uh, I'll Google the name, and sure enough, I'm wrong most of the time. Mistaken identity. We do that quite a lot, don't we? And I'm afraid that we might even have a mistaken identity about what a disciple is. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? A Scottish woman was in London visiting and she walked into a store thinking that maybe she could buy something unusual from London to take back home with her. She wasn't finding anything particularly that interested her and she glanced over and she noticed a figure uh, kind of from the shoulders up, and she asked the salesperson, and how much would that Japanese idol be worth? And he lowered his voice and said, in a rather, um, you know, succumbed voice, uh, that would be about a half a million dollars, madam. That's the proprietor. <laughs> Mistaken identity, don't we do that? And we can do that with discipleship, I think. What does it mean to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be a true person of God? Now, don't get me wrong. I think that, 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 that people who don't understand discipleship, I think uh, they, they probably are good church attenders. They, they might even serve in some kind of a way. They... They give a few dollars in the offering plate, but, but they do it on their own terms and, and not God's terms because they don't really comprehend the biblical definition of discipleship. 
And so I've got to ask the question this morning, uh, is it possible for a person to follow Jesus? Is it possible for a person to sit at the feet of Jesus' teaching? Is it possible for a person to even serve Jesus, go to church and read their Bible and and pray and, and even give their offering and not be a disciple? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, here in Luke's Gospel, chapter 14, Jesus identifies the answer to that very question. In fact, in this passage, Jesus is going to make it very, very clear what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Now, before we look into the text this morning, just let let me take a minute to define that word disciple because we're going to run across that word several times in our text this morning, so we really ought to know what it means, right? In its most basic sense, a disciple is a true follower of Jesus. It can be used synonymously with the word Christian. In other words, if you are a true Christian, you are a disciple. And if you are a disciple, you are a true Christian. Now, the term disciple occurs about 269 times in the New Testament. While that term Christian only appears two times. And you say, well, is it really synonymous? Well, in the book of Acts, which we're studying with Pastor Mark Crime, we have not gotten there yet. But in chapter 11 and verse 29, we're told that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. And that makes it very clear that the terms disciple and Christian are interchangeable. And I wanted to make that very clear this morning because I think it clarifies the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about here in Luke 14. When we get to Luke chapter 14, we begin in verse 27, where Jesus said, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And so we could substitute the word Christian for disciple. This is how it would sound. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be a Christian. That makes it pretty serious, doesn't it? And when we hear it that way, somehow it, it, it captures our attention and shows us the seriousness of what Jesus is talking about here. Now, let's begin the passage, beginning in verse 25. Now, a great crowd, now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, let me stop there. Now I want you to notice the identity of the audience that Jesus is talking to. In verse 29, he says, great crowds accompanied him. 
And then it says, and he turned and said to them. In other words, Jesus is not addressing people who were not interested. He was not addressing people who didn't have some curiosity. He he wasn't addressing people who weren't even following him, but rather he he was talking to people who were interested. He was talking to people, as a matter of fact, who had been traveling with him. He traveled with great crowds. Sometimes we think, well, only, you know, the disciples, those 12 guys, they they were the ones that were wandering around Israel with him. No, no, no. Jesus had great crowds who followed him around. And this was part of them. And so I, I guess we would naturally assume that because these people were following him, that they were disciples. Wouldn't you assume that? They were followers of Jesus, and therefore they were disciples and that's where we would be wrong you see although they were positive in their attitude towards him and and even though they listened to his teaching and they enjoyed experiencing his miracles they thought that by just showing interest in Jesus meant that they were true disciples but in reality they were just casual followers And this is where the confusion of identity begins in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. You see, we tend uh, to confuse doing Christian things with being a true follower, disciple of Jesus Christ. We confuse going to church and even serving and giving our money and volunteering our time. We tend to confuse those things with what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. And this is the issue that those who are following Jesus was dealing with that day. Apparently, they were just along for the ride. Oh, They were willing to follow Jesus when things were going well and when all of their needs were being taken care of. They were willing to listen to his teachings as long as he fed them. Hey, you going to have a potluck? Oh, yeah, I'll be there, right? That, that's, that's these people. They were, willing, <clears throat> they were willing to follow him if the trails were smooth and, they were, and the nights were clear and there weren't very many bugs. And Pastor Mark shared an illustration about the campers, you know, that wrote in, you know, comments about camping. That, that was these guys, <laughs> They, they didn't like the hills. They didn't like the bugs and the wild animals and the howling wolves. They, if everything was good, they were willing to follow Jesus. And how many people are there today who are willing to turn to Jesus to solve their problems? As soon as they get into a little bit of debt that they can't handle, they turn to Jesus and say, God, would you help me to pay off my debt? They turn to Jesus when they're having marital problems and they say, Jesus, will you help me solve my marital problems? Their kids go astray. God, will you bring my kids back? Uh, I lost my job. Will you help me to find a new job? They're willing to follow Jesus at their convenience, but not as a priority in their lives. In these verses, Jesus is addressing the mistaken understanding of what a disciple is. And he makes it clear that being a disciple, number one, means being committed to him above everything else. Now, some people might ask, well, what exactly does that mean, above everything else? I mean, like, um, can I be committed to him on Sunday? And then, you know, the rest of the time is my own, right? (laughs) 
Can I be committed to him when I'm, I'm serving Jesus in some kind of a way? And then, you know, the rest of the time I can do my own thing. Is that what it means to be 100% committed? Some people are like that, aren't they? Or maybe I'll be committed when, you know, I, 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 I volunteer to work at the food bank. That's, that's when I'll be committed. Well, Jesus answers that question in verses 26 and 27. <clears throat> in verse 26, he says, If anyone comes to me... Now, wait a minute. Who is he talking about? Who is he talking to? He says, if anyone comes to me. And so now we know that he isn't just talking to an exclusive group of people, but to anyone who comes to him. In other words, the principle of discipleship applies to everyone. Anyone who chooses to follow me. These are the requirements for following me. And by the way, the gospel is open to anyone. All who will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Amen? The gospel has been provided for everyone. And so that's who Jesus is talking to. And he goes on to say, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That sounds pretty severe, doesn't it? Let's try to understand what he's saying here. The word hate should not be taken in its most literal sense, but rather it's used in kind of a figurative sense. Let me try to under, help you to understand that. Jesus using it, is using it like, in some ways, like we might use an exaggeration. For example, we might say, we get up in the morning and your spouse says, how are you doing today? And you say, oh man, I feel like a Mack truck hit me. Well, that's an exaggeration, right? When I was growing up, we had a phrase, when it was cold outside, we would say, oh man, it's colder than a well digger's knee. Have you heard that one here in Alberta? No, is that a new one? It's a, one you need to learn, I understand, here in, in Edmonton. It's colder than a well digger's knee. Well, it's, it's an exaggeration, right? Not exactly sure what that means, because I don't know any well diggers, but that's the saying. <laughs> well, in Jewish culture, the word hate was in a sense an exaggeration in that it was used to express a lesser love. And so what Jesus was really saying was love Jesus more than you love your closest family relationships or even your own life. Love him more than you love your hobbies. Love him more than you love your life goals. Love him more than you love your career. Love him more than your own self-interests. Now, he isn't talking about emotional feelings toward him or emotional feelings toward our family members, but he's talking about our level of commitment. He's, he's saying that our commitment to obey and follow him has to be greater than any other commitment in our lives. In other words, Jesus has to be number one in our priorities and loyalties. And that means that if following Jesus results in problems that interfere in our closest relationships, Jesus wants to be first. So in some countries around the world, 
it's dangerous to be a Christian. You, you get kicked out of your family. In some parts of the world today, people are dying. They're being slain because they call themselves Christians. Or maybe here in this country, people avoid us. They might call us a name. Maybe a believing spouse is married to an unbelieving spouse. And it means putting up with some nonsense when the believer is getting ready to go to church. Being a disciple of Jesus means being committed to Jesus above everything else. Now, don't confuse this with your Christian service. Some people, and even some people in vocational ministry, will use the excuse that they love Jesus more so that they can be excessive in their time away from their family because they're doing God's work. You know, how can you say no to that, right? Well, he's away again. Where's daddy going? He's away again. He's doing God's work. And then they wonder why they lose touch with their family. They wonder why their children go astray because they say, well, I'm doing God's work. Huh? Loving God more doesn't mean that we can neglect some things in order to do other things. But loving God more means that he rules. He's the ruler. We walk in obedience to him. And that in whatever we do, we do as unto the Lord. And if that means being with my family, that's as unto the Lord. I'm walking in obedience to him. Number two, being a disciple means being committed to him, even above our own lives. In verse 26, notice that he says, yes, and his own life. Now here he's not referring to our physical life, but rather he's, he's re referring to also our self-lives. In other words, he's talking about our personal desires, our goals, our interests, and even our needs. You see, he wants to, us to be committed to him above all of that, above our bank accounts and above our personal image and above our jobs and committed to him even above our own personal lives. And so you can see that following Jesus carries a high sacrifice, doesn't it? And in order to emphasize that point, Jesus uses a metaphor in verse 27. This is what he said. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, everyone listening to those words of Jesus that day understood exactly what he was talking about. We don't so much today because we don't use crosses as a way of capital punishment today. But they understood in that day that when they saw a person carrying his own cross up the hill to where they were going to crucify him, that this would be his last journey. They understood that this was a no return ticket. They understood that he was, he was saying goodbye to everything in this world. It would be their final destination. And Jesus is saying that if we want to follow him, it means that we've got to say goodbye to our own will, our own desires, and to be committed fully to him. Somebody might say, well, pastor, you're, you're talking about work salvation there, aren't you? No, no, I'm not. Let me try to help you understand the difference. Let's suppose that I want to climb Mount Everest. I don't want to climb Mount Everest because I have some common sense, but... 
let's suppose I wanted to climb Mount Everest. But I say, well, I can't do it because it's going to cost me $170,000 to train, to buy the equipment, to hire the guides, to get my plane ticket, to stay there, to, you know, I, I just can't do it. A wealthy businessman comes to me and says, uh, Mark, why don't you go ahead and climb Mount Everest? I'm going to finance the whole thing for you. I'm going to pay for your training. I'm going to pay for the guides. I'm going to pay for your plane trip, your oxygen, your tents, your equipment. I'm, I'm going to pay the whole shot. You just go. And I'm going, great. That'd be awesome. He's going to pay a free ride, right? No, not so much of a free ride. Because now what it means that is I have to subject myself to months of intense training. And I have to subject myself to the thought that I might even die because there's a lot of people who climb Mount Everest who actually never come home. So you see, it's free and yet very costly. And then this very same way to follow Jesus and to become his disciple is given to us free of charge. That's the offer of Jesus. Come unto me. Come and I'll give you salvation. I'm offering you the free gift of eternal life. That's what Jesus says. But to become a disciple, although it is given to us freely, it's going to cost us something. It means that we have to be willing to say goodbye to everything to follow Jesus. Now let me follow up with this and help you to trace his, his thinking. Just so that nobody can miss the point, Jesus gives us an illustration of what it means to be a disciple. Look at verse 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And, and, and if not, while the other is yet a great away, far away, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus isn't interested in any half-hearted, blind commitment to him. And he gives us two illustrations to help us understand that. And the point of the illustrations is that just as it is prudent for a person who is going to build a building, to build a house, to build a tower to build an apartment building, what are they going to do? They're going to consider the cost before they begin to build. Or if you're going to go to war, you consider the cost. It's prudent to consider the commitment that is required before jumping in with both feet. In the same way, it is prudent to consider the cost and commitment that it requires to follow Jesus. I, I don't know if it's still on television or not, but I remember seeing an advertisement one time where this guy is sitting in a chair and he's getting a tattoo and, and the guy's working on his arm and, and he says to the tattoo artist, uh, how much is it going to be? 
And the guy goes, $50. So he digs around in his pockets and he, and he pulls out some money and he says, uh, I only have $41. Now skip to the next scene. He's having his girlfriend's name tattooed on his arm. And now in the next scene, they're on a street corner and his girlfriend is just howling at him. She's just so angry. And, and she storms off and he goes, but I'll get it fixed. And they pan into his arm and it says, I love Dawn. And her name was Donna. You see, he hadn't considered the cost, right? He, he didn't consider what it was going to, what was going to be required to, to finish the course. And, and, and in some ways, I think there are some people like that today who they, they only want to follow Jesus at their convenience. We've got to be committed to him above everything else. I read, I read some sad statistics the other day that shows that many believers today really have not considered the cost of what it means to be a disciple. Because the polls showed that there is very little difference between the way the world lives and how many professing Christians live. For example, polls show that Christians are just as likely as non-Christians to have been divorced, and to have purchased lottery tickets, and to watch X-rated movies. Of those who claim to be born-again Christians, 49% feel it's okay to live with somebody of the opposite sex before they're married. 33% believe it's okay to have an abortion. 35% believe it's okay to have sexual relations outside of marriage. 28% feel it's okay to view pornography. 29% think it's okay to use profanity. 24% think it's all right to get drunk. I'm just reading the statistics for you. If people really understood the requirements of true discipleship of Jesus Christ, there wouldn't be this moral compromise and half-hearted commitment. Jesus said in verse 33, So therefore, any one of you who does not redounce all that, all that he has cannot be my disciple. All is a fairly inclusive word, is it not? All means all, everything. It means your job, it means your favorite hobby, it means your most prized possession, it means your free time, it means your money, it means your goals and dreams, everything. And in fact, the word, the Greek word for give up or fake, forsake literally means to say goodbye or to renounce, bye-bye. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus is saying that you've got to be willing to forsake everything that might interfere with following him faithfully and fully. Now, he does not say you have to give up your favorite hobby. But are you willing to? He doesn't say that you've got to give up all of your money and give it to the poor. But if he asks for it, are you willing to give it? He doesn't tell us to forsake our dreams and our goals, but if he changes course on you, are you willing to follow him in the new course? That's what it means. Jesus gives us another illustration of what it means to follow him. Verse 34. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no use for either the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Jesus often referred to salt because of the high value people placed on salt in ancient times. You see, salt was used for a variety of things. It was used, for example, uh, payment to soldiers. It was used for seasoning. It was used as a preservative. But in this case, Jesus is using salt to represent a person's commitment to him. And he says that when that commitment is complete, then the salt is good. In other words, that person's life will have a positive and useful purpose in the world. And they will find fulfillment in this world. In Jesus' day, salt wasn't pure like it is today. And so, in essence, it could lose its saltiness. And if the salt lost its saltiness, what was left looked like salt. But there was no benefit to it. In fact, Jesus said that it could not even be used for fertilizer. It was only good for the manure pile. Now, I'm not talking about losing your salvation. I'm talking about people who claim to be a Christian, but they're just casual followers. And so what he's saying is that people who follow Jesus without a total commitment are just like salt that has lost its saltiness. They may have the appearance of being a disciple. They may have followed him along with the crowd. They might listen to his teachings and eat his food. But in the end, because they're only half-heartedly following him, they've lost their saltiness and they're of no use to the kingdom of God. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus means to be committed to him above everything else. Jesus concludes by saying in verse 34, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear. He's reminding us of our responsibility to listen and to respond to this difficult teaching. It isn't hard to hear, but it's hard to obey. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to follow him completely? Now, we're all humans. Sometimes we fail in our commitment to him, just like all the disciples did. But the thing that Jesus is confronting us with is not our ability, but our willingness to follow him with all of our heart. Let's bow in prayer. And this morning, I want to ask you to consider answering that question before the Lord. Are you committed to him above everything else? And does it show in the choices you make in life? If not, will you just commit your life to him right now and just tell him, Lord, I want to be a genuine follower, disciple of yours. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never made a complete commitment to Jesus Christ. Oh, you attend church, you might even serve, but you've never fully committed your life to him. You can do that today. By just admitting to Jesus that you're a sinner. That you want to claim his forgiveness for your sins. And then tell him that you want to fully be committed to him in everything. Will you say that to him today? If you said a prayer like that, will you just let me know this morning with an uplifted hand? And I want to pray for you and close. I won't embarrass you. Pastor, I said, that I said a little prayer like that. I asked Jesus into my heart. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to have listened to your word today. Lord, help us to be genuine followers, not just casual followers, not 
just people who follow you because of what you can do for us, but Lord, people who are committed wholly and fully to you. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for the pleasure, the privilege of knowing you as our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.